join with me in prayer and let's set this time apart. Father, we ask that you would send your spirit to teach us by your word, that we would behold the wonder of your forgiveness, the wonder of your grace, the wonder of your mercy, that we would be changed by it, and that our lives would reflect what you have done in us. We pray this in your son's name, amen. So can an employee, someone who is a really good employee, can they be fired for off-duty conduct? Can they be fired for what he or she does in a relationship with somebody else completely outside of work hours? Well, Harvard Law Review, in an article, article describing this, states that people in most occupations, actually, yes, people in most occupations may jeopardize their job security if their off-duty activities affects their acceptability at work or tarnishes their organization's image. So can you be fired from a job because of something that you do while you're not at work and has nothing related to what you actually do in your job? According to Harvard Law Review, the answer is yes, absolutely. Now that, that raises our hackles and our American sensibilities revile against that because our approach is oftentimes a bit more like the way that President Harry Truman responded to J. Edgar Hoover when he got all kinds of illicit information that Hoover was engaged in. And the president's response was, you know, they brought me a whole lot of stuff about his personal life, and I told them, I don't care about that. That wasn't my business. It was, if, it, if it was while he was at work, then that was my business. But what he does when he's not at work, I don't care. And so Truman's perspective was, I only care about what he's doing here, and, and there's absolutely no relationship between what he does in other situations to the way that it affects my individual relationship with him and what he does for us at work. Yet most companies in America don't see it that way. And they would say, yes, how you engage in other relationships can and does affect whether or not the company wants to continue to hire you. See, we tend to think that each of our individual relationships are this isolated little silo. That we engage in this relationship on the terms of this relationship and it's self-contained in the, that relationship. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Particularly when it comes to your relationship with God. Because your relationship with others affects your relationship with God. How you treat others affects how God treats you. In particular, your forgiveness of others, whether you forgive them or not affects whether or not God forgives you. Now, you may say, wait a second, wait a second. You know, my relationship with God is, is about me and God. It's about the two of us. It's about my relationship with him. I believe that I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's not about what I do, do whatsoever. How on earth can my relationship, what I do with somebody else, how can that affect my relationship with God? These things are completely separate. And God would say to you, I'm not sure what Bible you're reading, but it's not the one I gave to you. Particularly when it comes to a verse like we've been looking at through this series, which is, Lord, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And he taught them to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiveness is a beautiful word, C.S. Lewis writes. 
It is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. It's a beautiful word until you have something or someone to forgive. Here's an example. This past week, my family went up to the Holocaust Museum, and I was reminded of the story of Corey Tenboom, whose family um, hid uh, Jews during the Holocaust in the Netherlands. They, as their family, hid over 800 Jews uh, in the wall of their house, hid them underneath the stairwell. Eventually, they were caught and discovered for doing so, and their family was sent to concentration camps. Her parents were killed. Her beloved sister was killed, and she was in a concentration camp herself, and she was, uh, lived there and was eventually liberated, lost most of her family uh, in the concentration camp. After the war, she went about testifying of the, the grace of God and telling other people about the love of God, and in particular about the need to forgive, and even the need to forgive the Nazi perpetrators and the Nazis and those who had done such atrocious things. And she shares this story. She says, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men. The heaps of clothing. Betsy, that's her sister, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing, and he said, how grateful I am for your message, he said. To think that, as you say, that Jesus has washed away all of my sins. And his hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Bloomsdale about the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. And forgiveness, our forgiveness of others, affects God's forgiveness of us. Now you might be saying, wait a second. Really, really, I mean, is that, is that really how this works? I mean, is it really that, that we're forgiven as, as we forgive others here? I mean, isn't it, aren't I just relating to God on the basis of the grace of God in my life? I mean, is this, does this connection really go together? Well, it's expressly stated in prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, if you've been around the church for some time, and maybe this is your first Sunday here, maybe the first time that you're expressing Christianity, but there's a good chance that you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer, Lord's prayer prayed. It is often at this line that everyone kind of mumbles because people say, okay, forgive us our, our, is it our sins? Are we saying trespasses? Is this a trespassing church? Is this a forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive our trespassers? And what is a trespass anyway? Um, and how do I know if I've forgiven one? And so when we look at this, let's just take those terms for a second. What are sins? Sins are errors and offenses. So saying forgive us our offenses as we forgive those who have offended us. A trespass is to break a rule. It means that you know it is wrong to do something, 
and you decide to do it anyway. It's not an accident, but a deliberate, willful violation. So we're saying, forgive us our trespasses the way that we have willingly and willfully broken your law. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others who willingly, knowingly hurt us, who do things against us. Or, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our debts. A common biblical term for sins. And why debts is because you, is that when someone does something wrong, when someone sins against you, there is a debt that is incurred. You know this intuitively. When someone does something to you that makes you really mad, there's a part of us that says, man, I want to make that person pay. Right? I mean, we think that. I want to make that person pay. Why do we say pay? Because there is a debt that we have incurred as a result of that sin. Now, a debt, this aspect of sin is not the whole of what a sin is, but it is an irreducible part of it. That there is never a sin that occurs without a debt going along with it. And so Jesus teaches us, he says, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. For, or, as Luke writes, Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. But maybe this is just a prayer thing. Actually, it's not. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servants. And in this parable, he tells a story of a master who had a steward who owed him a gargantuan amount of money. And the master mercifully forgives his debt. And then that steward goes out to one of his own servants who has a debt against him, and he refuses to forgive his servant's debt. Here is Jesus' take on the parable. He says this, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, we can read this parable and say, okay, Jesus is telling us that we need to forgive other people. But he goes a step further and says this, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. He's saying that if you do not forgive, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your sins. He's identifying that unforgiveness imperils your soul. And it's not just these two accounts. It's stated in many other places in Scripture. Colossians chapter 3. Put put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So you also must forgive. Not optional. But what Jesus is demonstrating is a principle that you see more broadly in Scripture in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Why? Those that have received the mercy of God should be people that that mercy is then manifested in their life. Those who have received the grace of God, that grace of God should be people, they should be people who that grace is also shown in their life. Those who receive the forgiveness of God should also be people who extend the forgiveness of God to others. And Jesus makes it clear, Matthew chapter 7. 
And I'm going through multiple of these verses. They're all saying the same thing. But to demonstrate the weight of Jesus' teaching here. In Matthew chapter 17, he identifies, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured against you. If you are going to be a person who lives judging and not forgiving other people, you will be treated by the judge of all earth according to the standard that you yourself use. If you want to evaluate people on the basis of how they measure up to your laws and your offenses, then you will be one who will be evaluated by the, God, by the judge of all earth on how you measure up to his standards and to his laws. And he connects it again in prayer. Jesus teaches. Mark chapter 11. Therefore I tell you, when, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, whenever you pray, whenever you pray, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who was in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Whenever you are praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. That pretty much covers it. So that... Your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Paul iterates it another time. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Yes, your actions can grieve the Spirit of God. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. He's saying, let all attempts at repaying debt be put away from you. All the ways that you want to repay people by replaying the situation in your mind, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, the ways that you, re, re, that you nurse wounds and say them again and again and again, the way that you do this over and over, he's saying, put all of that stuff away and instead be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. You see, Scripture always links these two together, that your forgiveness of others affects God's forgiveness of you. And if you choose not to give, and here is why, if you choose not to forgive, you are choosing to live and to be judged by the law of God instead of the grace and mercy of God. And you will suffer the due punishment for your sins. The issue here is not that there is no remedy for your sins. It's not that there's no remedy for your bitterness or anger or hurt. The issue is that by not forgiving, you have rejected the only remedy that there is. You have rejected the forgiveness of Christ, which is the only remedy for forgiveness. That's why they always go together. Now, why do we forgive? Why why should we forgive? What our modern culture will tell you is that the reason why you need to forgive is that you need to forgive not for the other person, but you need to forgive because it's best for you. You need to forgive not for them, but for you. Forgiveness will bring you freedom. Why should you forgive someone? Because this is in your best interest. You'll be a whole lot better off if you actually forgive someone. And yes, there are benefits to it. In fact, 
really real and tangible in health benefits. For example, recent study coming out from the, uh, Johns Hopkins University, studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels in sleep, that forgiveness affects your cholesterol levels, reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. And research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection as you age. The doctor who wrote this study says there is an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. Chronic anger puts you into a fight or flight mood, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, this is Johns Hopkins University, not a Christian institution. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels and leads to improved health. There's also a strong connection between mental health and forgiveness as well. Recent article in this new study in the Journal of Health Psychology Researchers analyzed the mental and physical health of 148 young adults. As one might expect, a correlation was found between high stress levels and more health problems. But the study also indicated that in cases where people showed forgiveness of both themselves and others, listen to this, the connection between stress and mental illness practically disappeared. You know what this secular study is identifying? Is that whether or not you forgive somebody affects your health. Your forgiveness of somebody else can actually be the cause of mental illness. You see, our tendency is that we so much more prefer to say that the reason why I'm having these issues in my life, the reason why I'm having these health problems, it's not spiritual because I'm such a good person. Like, these aren't spiritual issues. No, 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 no. The issue is I just, you know, I'm just out of balance. I, my, my chemicals are out of balance. I've just got this problem. I just need to take more medication. It's biological. I'm not morally responsible. It's biological. Don't, you know, don't think that there's anything wrong with me here. I don't want to think that there's anything wrong with me. In fact, I can't th- bear to think that, this, that my spiritual well-being might actually be manifesting itself in my physical health. And yet, even if you regard, disregard what Scripture says, which it says the exact same thing, the secular, non-Christian medical community is telling you the exact same thing. They are attesting to the truth of Scripture, that your body and soul are intertwined, and the condition of your soul and your relationship with God directly impacts your physical health and even certain forms of mental illness. So, this researcher continues. Speaking about the connection to the stress of mental illness, the researcher had this to say, it's almost entirely erased. It is statistically zero. The connection between stress and mental illness. If you don't have forgiving tendencies, you feel the raw effects of stress in an unmitigated way. You don't have a buffer against that stress. But forgiveness takes that bad connection between stress and mental illness, and it makes it zero. That's the words of the researcher. I think most people, he says, want to feel good, and forgiveness offers you the opportunity to do that. What the researcher is identifying is that there are people who are consuming their life and filling their life with medical treatments and alternative medical treatments, and what is needed is a spiritual remedy. 
what is needed is forgiveness. And so our culture would say, yeah, you need to forgive because it's best for you. And it is. You need to forgive because it imperils your other relationships. Yes, it does. You need to forgive because it's necessary for the body of Christ. It absolutely is. But none of those are the reasons why Christians forgive principally. Is that the reason why we are called to forgive is not for the benefit that we receive, but we are called to forgive because you have been forgiven. We are called to forgive because Christ has forgiven you. And that's the basis of the prayer in Luke chapter 11. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. You see, whenever a wrong is done, as I mentioned before, a debt is incurred. Sometimes that debt is material. Like, you know, someone damages your car, there is a material debt. Sometimes the debt is physical, sometimes it is emotional, sometimes it is relational. And the calling of Scripture is to forgive, just as Christ has forgiven you. Now, to clarify a couple things, what biblical forgiveness is, is that forgiveness is not taking something and sweeping it under the rug, which is meaning that it is no longer visible, but it's still present. And in fact, it might even be something that's big enough that I'll trip on when I step on that rug and go across it. Similarly, forgiveness is not denial. Forgiveness is not saying, oh yeah, that didn't hurt. That didn't hurt at all. You know, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, and you're diminishing what happened. Forgiveness is not diminishing it. Similarly, forgiveness also is not taking something and sticking it into long-term storage. You know, the reason why people have long-term storage is because, you know, we got so much junk in our houses anyway, and we don't want to deal with all the junk that we've got in our house, so we buy another place to store more of our junk. And so kind of like our own lives, sometimes what we do is that we don't even want to deal with all the junk in our own life, and so we take this issue that I'm not going to forget, forgive, and I take it and I stick it into long-term storage. Why? So that if I ever need it, I can unlock the storage cabinet and pull that out and use it at that point in time. But, you know, it's too messy to have it cluttering up my house all the time, so I'll just stick it somewhere that I can access it when I need it, but I'm just not going to deal with it right now. Forgiveness is not long-term storage. Also, let me state that forgiveness is not necessarily forgetting. And forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. And forgiveness absolutely is never an excuse to allow the continuation of abuse and violence. It is never an excuse for that. What forgiveness is, is that forgiveness is addressing real wrongs, real offenses that have created real debts. Forgiveness is releasing a guilty person from the punishment due to them for the debt against you. It's releasing a guilty person from the punishment due them for their debt against you. It means that you are, to, you are saying, I am not going to make that person pay the debt. I will pay it myself. I am not going to exact a toll from them. I am not going to harbor resentment. That's a tall order. That's a tall order. It is not easy. How do we do that? Well, the scripture shows us. And it shows us repeatedly. 
we forgive one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. How do we forgive others? God has shown us how to forgive others in the way that, he is, that Christ has shown us how he has forgiven us, that he laid down his life that we would be forgiven, that he sacrificed himself so that we, forgiveness would be extended to us. The reason why we need forgiveness is that our sins are against God Almighty. Think about this for a moment. Imagine family gets together for a family reunion and two kids are arguing and one kid, you know, clears his throat and he spits in the face of the other kid. And he just launches at the other kid, right? That kid would get in trouble. The other kid would say, Mom, Dad, someone's I spit in my face. And you'd say, oh, it's because, you know, you deal with it and what have you. Now imagine if that same kid hawked up that same loogie and he went over and he spit it in the face of his grandfather or great-grandfather. Is it any different? I mean, it's the same action. He's just spitting on someone that he shouldn't be spitting on, Right? No, everyone would say, no, that is egregious and highly offensive, right? Why? It is highly offensive and even more offensive than him doing that to his sibling because of who it is against. And it is more offensive because he's doing it against his grandfather or against his great-grandfather. And our sins, even though we sin against one another, our greatest offense is against God Almighty because he is God Almighty. You know, for some reason, we've got this bizarre bizarre notion that we tend to think that God should be the person who is least offended by our sins. That God is the person who is least concerned about the things that we do. But what Scripture makes clear is quite the opposite. That of all of our sins, God is most offended because they are against Him. And as a result, we have incurred this enormous, unpayable debt. And the wonder of the gospel is that God didn't eradicate us, but he sent Jesus Christ, who on the cross paid the full price. He took the full punishment that we deserve so that we would receive forgiveness, which we do not deserve. And the extent of our offense and the depth of our offense is made clear by what was needed to pay for it. And what was needed to pay for it was God becoming man 2,000 years ago. We're on the cross. He paid the full price and took the full wrath of God for every sin, every motive behind every nice appearing comment, where he took the frequency of sins that we said we wouldn't do, but we have done again and again and again, and he has taken the full wrath and punishment of every sin that we have ever committed and every sin that we ever will commit. And Jesus paid the price, and he took our debts so that we would be set free. Now consider this a little further. Imagine that you've got a school debt. Maybe you've got a house debt, car debt, take your pick. And you, through your diligence, that debt actually gets paid off. And so your debt is no more, and your debt is removed. And so you get the letter from the bank telling you that your debt has been paid in full and that your debt has been satisfied. And then a couple weeks later, two men in black suits show up at the door from the collection agency 
and they pull out the original note that your debt was taken out on, and they say, you have a debt that needs to be paid. And if you don't pay this, not only will there be more fines leveled against you, but we can throw you in jail if you do not pay this full debt. To which you would respond, trouble me not, O black-suited debt collector. That debt, yes, there wasn't a debt. And that debt has been paid. And it has been paid in full. And I shall not pay it again. That 2,000 years ago on the cross of Jesus Christ is that he took our debt and he paid it in full. And it does not, indeed, it cannot be paid again. And so the reason why we forgive, the reason why Christians forgive, is that we forgive not to gain something, principally. We don't forgive principally to gain a better self, though yourself will improve dramatically through forgiveness. We don't forgive principally to gain better relationships, though if you don't forgive, your relationships will be horrendous, and you will have better relationships through forgiving. We don't forgive to gain a better world, or a more peaceful world, which, of course, without forgiveness, have just been stuck in cycles of revenge. We do not forgive to gain something, but the reason why Christians forgive is that we forgive not to gain something, but because we have something. We forgive because we already have the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. And so we forgive because you have been forgiven by Jesus. We forgive as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Now, I don't mean to simplify this. On the one hand, it's incredibly simple. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. You really don't need to know much else. But forgiveness is not easy. And it is often complex, and oftentimes it takes a bit of a process. And forgiveness comes at a great cost. And yes, it even comes at a great cost to you. We know it comes at a great cost because we can see the great cost that God paid through the death of his own son so that we would be forgiven. Yes, there is a great cost to forgiveness, and it is not easy, and it is painful. And so one, I just want to encourage you, while it is simple, it is not simplistic. And if you're here and you're wrestling through forgiveness and what exactly that means in your life, we'd love to connect you with our counselor who comes down on Fridays. Our pastors, our elders would love to journey you, journey with you through this. For the call that Christ gives to us is forgive because Christ has forgiven you. And to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Now through this series... We have been focusing on prayer. So what in particular does this have to do with prayer? How does forgiveness change our prayer? And Jesus is teaching for us to forgive as we have been forgiven. Well, I think it shifts our prayers is that we need to approach our prayers every time asking the question, am I right with other people? And when we come before our Heavenly Father and ask Him forgiveness again, we come saying to Him, Father, I cannot be so presumptuous to refuse forgiveness to others when you have forgiven me. Father, I cannot be so presumptuous 
to even think that you would forgive me when I refuse to give the same grace to other people. Father, I come before you and I ask that you would examine me and expose me. Am I right with others? Am I right with other people? And if I'm not, Lord, Father, may I forgive as you have forgiven me. May I forgive because you have forgiven me. It was at the church in Munich that Corey Tenboom first saw him. She says, he came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message to think that, as you say, Jesus has washed away my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Bloomingdale about the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, Forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, nor the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so, again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. And while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger, that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that this, world healings, this world's healing hinges, but on him. And when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then in that moment. Brothers and sisters, may we forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And we confess how frequently and how easily we want to embrace your forgiveness. And in the same breath, we want to harbor resentment and hold debts against others. And so, Father, I thank you that you pursued after us. Not when we came asking you for forgiveness, not when we had made restitution, but you pursued after us while we were still your enemies, while we were still spitting in your face, you sent Jesus Christ 
to die on the cross, to pay our debt, to pay our sins, to deal with the impurity of our iniquities so that we would be set free. Lord, would you overwhelm us with your grace? Would you overwhelm us with your love? Would we be a people whose lives manifest the forgiveness that you have shown to us? Lord, would we be people who are eager to forgive, not because it's better for us, not because we gain something, but would we be eager to forgive because we have something? Your forgiveness through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Lord, fill us with your joy. Liberate us to serve you. Liberate us to forgive that you would be honored and praised. In Jesus' name, amen.